everybody, folks, and welcome back to Patriot to the Core podcast. I'm Fab Forrester, so thank you once again for listening in, especially this Memorial Day episode. I uh, hope you're having a great Memorial Day or will have a great Memorial Day. And a very appropriate for this holiday that we have our guest, uh, Larry and Janice Brown. They are the parents of Adam Brown, who was killed March 17, 2010. And Adam was in the Navy. He was a SEAL. He was a member of a few different teams, including Team 6. And a lot of the world knows about Adam because uh, there was a New York Times bestselling book written about him called Fearless by Eric Blim. So I encourage you to read it if you haven't. Uh, it's a great book. I read it you know, right after it came out a few years ago or several years ago. Maybe it was sometime around 2012-ish, I think. But um, his parents are very strong. They uh, had a great time talking with them. They have really done so much to honor their son by serving many other people since his death. And uh, they've created a, an organization called While We're Waiting. And it's for parents who have lost children. And they just go on this week weekend retreat. They have a facility there in Arkansas. And it's kind of a safe zone for the parents to talk about their their child or children that they've lost. So uh, they, they did that with some other friends who lost who lost the child as well, not to war, but to, I believe, cancer. Uh, they have a, Adam's friends have started a, a, a 5K Shamrock Run. Well, they, they did it several years ago. Now they do it every year. And uh, they, it's, it's uh, held at his high school there in uh, Hot Springs. And they raise a tremendous amount of money. This year they raised almost $50,000. So just pretty dang incredible. Uh, so this was a very uh, great time I had talking to him. I think it's very appropriate here for Memorial Day as well. We're able to learn a little bit more about Adam. And uh, they talk candidly about his strengths, but also about his weaknesses, his addictions that he had and struggles that he had and how they, they kind of haunted him for a long time. But uh, please just bear with us the audio it could it's not the best but i think you can still hear just about everything there might be a word or two that you might miss out on but i think it's not going to change the the whole mood of the of the episode so it's an honor having them with us and uh please let's uh i hope you enjoy your time listening to larry and janice brown all right so i have mr and miss brown with me larry and janice brown the parents of um adam brown um uh, mr miss brown thanks for joining me today on patriot to the core Thanks for having us. It's Glad a, to be here. My pleasure. Well, it's an honor to talk with y'all. Uh, a little background: I came across the book Fearless several years ago while I was writing the book on my brother, and I read Fearless not long. It was really shortly after it came out, and um, it was kind of hard to put down. Very well written. I kind of I, I felt like I related to Adam. I think just because of what I was had learned about my brother and his training and uh, I was also in the process of writing a book so I was I was really interested in many ways and your son was just an absolute stud and I'd like to ask you you know uh, I guess to start out with I mean how how did Adam's upbringing prepare him for the Navy and and specifically to be a SEAL? Well he was uh I, it was just his uh, his personality really was just one of uh, if if you think I can't do something I'm I'm going to show you I can. He was a, he was one of those kids that uh, he was never belligerent or or disrespectful or anything like that. But 
if you put a boundary down, he, he was going to push that boundary. He was going to get up next to it and lean on it, you know. And, uh, but he was always very confident in himself. He was uh, just extremely uh, dedicated to whatever he was doing. He just wanted to be the best at it. And, uh, just I remember when uh, Adam was in high school, he ran around with a group of kids. Uh, they were all pretty similar to him. I mean, they all had... Uh, goals and aspirations and they really wanted they were really achievers and they kind of challenged each other to be their best and so that was a lot of fun watching that yeah it sounded like just from the little bit you know in the book he, he had a good group of friends yes he did we uh, we knew those friends and we knew those friends fam- uh, parents also so we you know we, we when you have a child who's like adam you kind of have to keep tabs on them <laughs> Well, so he grew up in Hot Springs, Arkansas. Is yes. that right? Yes. What What is Hot Springs like? You know, what's the population and what's the area that y'all live in? Is it Are you out in the country? Well, we were we lived out in the country when uh, when Adam and Amanda were growing up, and Sean, our oldest. Uh, we it's Hot Springs is in Garland County, Arkansas, and the the county area is kind of small, but this probably has a population of about 80,000 in the entire county. Uh, Hot Springs being about 36,000, but it all comes together. Okay. Did he spend a lot of time outside hunting, fishing, or just, you know, outdoors as a growing up? He was not a uh, real hunter and fisher, but uh, he enjoyed outdoor sports, and he, he, uh, he was outside most of the time playing some sort of sport, basketball, or if he could find a football game, which what he really liked. So was there ever a time in his life when y'all doubted that he wouldn't or couldn't accomplish what he'd set out to do? Whether, I mean, whether it's before the military or, you know, during. Uh, I can remember uh, when he was about seven years old, he was on this football team down in Louisiana. And he came in and he told me, he said, Mom, I'm going to win the best defensive award. And I was like, now, Adam, you know, he was young for the team and everything. And I said, you know, I don't want you to get your hopes up. That'd be great, you know. But, you know, and and he came home with that defensive award. And, you know, so it was like he kind of made a believer out of me right then. And when he said something, I knew if he really put his heart to it, he would probably do it. So he was seven? At that time? Yes. Okay. As a matter of fact, his sixth grade football coach uh, gave him the nickname of Psycho. So that just kind of tells you a little bit right there. Um, but, <laughs> That's good. <laughs> but Adam had come in from his first football practice. We had just moved back to high. We had traveled a little bit for work in the 80s, and we'd just come back, and uh, he was small. And so his first football peewee coach thought he was too small and wouldn't let him in to play. And so he came, uh, when I picked him up, he said, he won't even give me a chance. And I said, Adam, you know you can make people pay attention to you. You just go out there. And so the next day he came home and he said, wow, my nickname's Psycho. <laughs> <laughs> Did that name stick with him? Not really. Not really. <laughs> <laughs> Thank goodness. Yeah. yeah, I guess that's a, a double-edged sword there. You kind of don't want to. 
be known <laughs> as being psycho for too long, I guess. My only uh, doubt was, uh, especially when he went into buds or seal training, was him getting out of bed in the morning because he was not a morning person. He's, he hated getting up. And so that was my big concern is that he would not, you know, get up in time to, to make all of these different musters and things. Yeah, in- interesting. As I, I was actually wanting to ask that because, uh, you know, my little brother was, was like that. He went through a period where he was lazy and, and he went through a period where he was chubby and when he was small and, you know, and, and, um, but then, you know, he went through like a complete metamorphosis. Partly was just, you know, his body changing, but also him like working out extremely hard and eating right. And, um, and but there were times I worried, it's like, you know, Mark, you're not going to get up early every day. This is when he was going to go on, on a, as a full-time missionary. Yeah. So what, what were some things, even besides sleeping in, were there any, is there anything like that with Adam where y'all, where he, you, you thought he'd have some serious struggles? Well, you know, of course, he, after he went into college, he did, uh, he got involved with the wrong crowd and, and got into drugs, uh, was addicted at one time. And uh, so naturally that's a concern, but uh, I think the Lord really uh, delivered him from that. And he struggled with it, but uh, he was, uh, especially when he was, before he went in the Navy, he worked for me a lot. And uh, I, I just, I don't know how many times I had to fire him just because <laughs> he would you know, maybe it's different when you're working for your dad than it is someone else. But, uh. Wow. So what was that like? Because uh, that, that, there's definitely a, uh, a significant amount of the book, I guess, that, that makes sure the reader understands that he struggled with some drug addiction. Uh, what was that like for y'all as his parents and his family? Well, you know, as as a typical parent, you know, you never expect your child to do that. And we had, you know, actually got our children, all of our children, through high school, so we never dreamed of drugs. And when he went to college, and we could see a change in him, but we didn't know what it was. And then when we finally found out um, that it was drugs, we were devastated. Um, and it was just... He was so bad when we finally realized what it was that we knew we had a big problem on our hands. So at this point, had he met Kelly yet, his wife, or was this before her at first? Okay. This was okay, before her. So how did how did how did he overcome the drugs? And I think they kind of it took a while. I know. So what what did he do to get that out of the system and overcome the addiction? Well, actually. Uh... <clears throat> he was uh, he was arrested and he was in jail and I asked one of my pastors to go visit him in jail and uh, my pastor went up and talked to him and, and actually uh, Adam in jail come to know the Lord he, he gave his life over to Jesus and that was a turning point in him he, he realized uh, that it was more than just him that uh, that and then he really he he grabbed on to Jesus and, and the power that he uh, that he could uh, receive from him and, and that was the turning point in uh, Adam's life so when did he from then when did he join the Navy 
Well, after he got out of the Navy, or out of the out of jail, mm-hmm. he went to he went to King Challenge for uh, fourteen months, and he went down in Florida. And when he came back from Florida, he was a he was our old Adam back. You know, he was uh, full of confidence, and he had this work ethic again, and he was just uh, the, the cheerful. You know, exuberant guy that he was always was. But uh, then he came back, and uh, this is about the time he met Kelly. Yes. Mm-hmm. And you know, he still struggled some with the drugs, even you know with Kelly. But you know, I think God really sent Kelly in that she could uh, more hold him accountable than I could or his mom could, because uh, by this time he's twenty. Two years old, 20, 23 maybe. Uh, and but you know when God sent Kelly into his life, uh, that really that was another turning point for him. And, and uh, she she really uh, she helped him through some very difficult times. You know, uh, drug addiction. Even when you're uh, decided that you're clean and you're going to live the rest of your life for Jesus, that uh, that addiction's still there, and your mind has changed, and it, it's difficult. It's a it's a very very difficult thing to uh, kick that addiction. Yeah, I, I, I'm sure it is. It's it's got to be. I mean, I guess it goes to show you too that we all need a, a good woman in our lives to help us out. <laughs> yeah. Well, she, uh, I think uh, she was she was what he needed at that point. And he knew that, and he was willing to allow her to hold him accountable. If if he had not been able, you know, willing to do that, I, you know, he would have just gone back to yeah. where. Now, at some point after they were married, didn't he he had relapsed? And he got back in it for a little bit. Well, had, he had one one slip up. He he disappeared one evening and uh, stayed out all night. And we're not real sure what he did. Uh, whether it was, you know, uh, I, I assume that it was drugs that he went, you know, and, and did. But, uh, you know, that was one of those demons that the, it, Adam, he would call it, it's calling my name. And uh, that's that's just one of those demons that, that called his name all his life after, uh, after his addiction. I imagine, don't you wish that, or how often did he have the opportunity to tell people, you know, please run, don't ever start it, because once you do, it it could follow you the rest of your life and haunt you. Well, I think um, he probably didn't have as much opportunity as he would have liked, because uh, in the profession he was in, he was working a lot. He was gone from home, and when he was home, he was with his family. But he he was more than happy to share uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And we really felt like once he got out of the military, that's exactly what he would do. Um, but you know, God had other plans. Yeah. Well, and he's doing it now, you know, just in a different, yeah. I guess, just not not right. straight from his mouth. Yeah. Right. I, I do know that uh, there in Virginia, uh, not in Virginia Beach, but uh, all the big town, Norfolk, they have a teen challenge there, and he used to go down there and talk to those guys uh, on occasion. Okay. Uh, 
in Challenger and Norfolk. Well, I'd like to talk about now, once he got in the, well, actually, I don't know what point this was, but I think he was a sniper at this point. Uh, he was in some training. I think he was in some training in Alabama, and he injured his right eye somehow, and he had to learn to shoot left-handed. He, could you, what do you know about that? Because it, it blew me away when I read it. Yeah. He, uh, actually, he was not a sniper at this point. He had, uh, he had been to sniper school, but, uh, he, they dropped him out. He didn't complete it the first time. And he was back with the, with his old team, uh, and doing a workup and they were on a training incident where, uh, somehow it, the, uh, Sim round got around his safety glasses and just absolutely shattered, destroyed his dominant eye. And uh, that's when, you know, we, after talking to him and seeing, hearing, you know, how destructive it was, uh, we just figured that uh, he probably was not even going to be in the teams anymore, you know, that his career was probably over. But uh, you know him and him and God had a different plan. I think. So. And he, he spent lots of uh, it was probably a year or so uh, trying to recover that eye. And they, the military was doing everything they could to restore it until they finally came to the point where uh, it was not fixable, and uh, you had to get a prosthetic eye. And um, you know, since he was at them, uh, he was going to make the best of that, and so he loved having. That redneck eye and uh, a couple of different eyes that he could show. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I thought about uh, an episode of Seinfeld where Kramer got an eye patch and he wore it just, just for the fun of it. And sometimes he'd switch eyes because it got sweaty. But <laughs> yeah, it looked like Adam loved that patch. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I didn't see it, but uh, I was told that uh, Amanda's youngest uh, is a boy. And uh, he was here, and with uh, his nephew Nathan, uh, Nathan, Nathan's his son. Uh, Luke. Luke is his nephew, and for some, I, I didn't see it, like I say, but I heard that Luke was at the bottom of the stairs, and Adam was at the top, and Adam took his prosthetic eye out and held it up and said, "I got my eye on you, boy." And. <laughs> <laughs> That really freaked him out. Yeah, I'm sure, especially a young boy, they're just not going to remember. I mean, not going to forget that. (laughs) So he later became a sniper, though. Yes, after uh, it was uh, between, uh, it was after he got his uh, eye put out. Then he uh, they they let him go back, and he he uh, the workup for the team. He went ahead and qualified back for the team that he was on. And uh, then they went ahead and sent him to sniper school, and he uh, he made a one of the highest grades that's ever been made out of that sniper school. Uh, and uh, it was uh, really amazing to to watch him just to adjust. And he spent many, many, many hours, you know, on the range just learning how to shoot with his non-dominant eye. Yeah. That's impressive. I mean, was this, which team was he with at this time? It was either team two or team four. He was on both of those, and I'm not sure at what point. He, 
And, uh, you know, up until he, uh, till he hurt his, or got his fingers cut off at his dominant hand, he would just look over. He, he still shot right with his dominant hand, but he would just look over. But then after he lost the mobility in his dominant hand, he actually switched uh, shoulders and eyes. And that was another uh, big swap that he had to make at uh, in Team Six. Oh, I didn't realize that. Uh, so what? how did he hurt his hand or his fingers? He was in uh, Afghanistan after, before, uh, before he went into Team Six. He was with one of the teams that uh, deployed to Afghanistan, and uh, they were in a Humvee wreck, and uh, it turned over, and and he had his hand, I guess, on the outside, and uh, it tore off three fingers. Actually, it tore off one and just mangled the other two, but they reattached them. Uh, and then, then he went into Team Six after he healed from that, or went into the tryout for it. Yeah. Okay. Well, he he is described as a man of extremes, and uh, I guess we can get an idea a little bit, you know, from already hearing you speak. But why else? Why else is he called that? Well, I think you know, if Adam decided to do uh, anything, I mean. Oh. If, if it was on vacation, you know, we were going to do everything there was to do. Or uh, he couldn't sit still. He was just, uh, if he had to sit still, he would just go to sleep. He'd rather just not not deal with it if he couldn't do something. You know, I think that was, um, and it, anything he did was, uh, it was going to be a little bit better, a little bit harder than somebody else. What what can y'all tell me about the uh, intruder in his house? I think he was married at this time, and uh, what was going on, and and what did he do? How did he manhandle the the thief that broke in? Well, I, he was at home, uh, and he was take Adam since he was a little boy. Loved Mr. Bubble, and he always took bubble baths, and and that carried on out through the rest of his life. And he was taking his Mr. Bubble bubble bath. And uh, I can't recall if Kelly heard the intruder or if Adam did. But he he came up out of that bath. And uh, Kelly said she had never seen his work face. But when he thought his family was in danger, he went into work mode. And she said he came out of there. Here he is with nothing on but bubbles. And he's running through that house yelling and screaming and telling them to get out. And apparently he must have scared them to death because he didn't actually catch them. But they did get out of the house. And uh, Kelly said it was just amazing to see Adam, the father, and the husband at home turn into this other person. Yeah, I guess that protective instinct took yeah. over. you got to protect your family. Exactly. So the... So the the dude saw this crazy naked guy running at him, and he fled. Bubbles bath all over. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah, that's funny. Um, I hope that's in the movie, something like that. <laughs> um, well, so let's go to uh, March seventeenth of twenty ten. What can you tell us about the details surrounding Adam's death? Well. Uh... 
I know that the uh, they were his troop was uh, tasked to go somewhere way up high in the Hindu Kush mountains where no American serviceman had ever been. It was a very very remote uh, village up there, and they actually, I from what I understand, they uh, they marched or you know walked, hiked up these up and down the mountains there for about eight hours just to get there. And uh, they got there probably a little bit late. And uh, before they got to the compound, evidently uh, some people in the little village or whatever uh, realized that they were there. And uh, the, I think they lost their element of surprise. And from what I, you know, from what I've been told, there was a two or three of his teammates were uh, had really been caught under some heavy fire, and, and uh, Adam went around the other side of the uh, the compound to try to relieve those guys to get them out from under that heavy fire that they were under, and uh, it was uh, a guy. I uh, evidently hiding in a little, uh, I don't know, a little, mm-hmm. some kind of pen of some sort. And Adam evidently didn't see him. And uh, Adam got off a couple of rounds to relieve those guys, but uh, but that, but he was uh, he was shot several times in the meantime, and uh, he didn't. Uh, he didn't recover from that. Okay. So, uh, was anyone else, any other Americans killed that day that you know of on that mission? No. No, there was uh, one other guy was injured uh, trying to get to Adam after he went down. Uh, one of the other guys was injured, was shot in the wrist, I think. But, uh, These were uh, Adam's friends, um, you know, when you're in the team together, you're, you're family, you're friends, and uh, they were absolutely heroes, every one of them, because they went in, and they, they got at him, they did not leave him there, and, you know, they came up that mountain, so they had to go down that mountain, only this time they were carrying Adam, and uh, there were a lot, of, we found out later, they, they didn't tell us, but we found out later that they fell off the sides of the mountain and they were being shot at and uh, that they were just so courageous in making sure they got him down into that helicopter and we just uh, could not be more uh, appreciative of them and love them more for for their effort to say that sure well, what else have y'all learned you know, I know that I'm sure if you're like me, you keep finding out information, maybe from different people and different people surface as time goes on. What else have you learned about, you know, Adam and the circumstances, you know, surrounding his last battle? Well, it, uh, yeah, one of the things we learned, and it's in the book, I think, too, but uh, his last the last two words that he that he ever said was, uh, "I'm okay," and that's the last thing he said uh, to his teammates there. And I think he, uh, I think he knew that uh, 
he was probably not going to make it. And uh, and I think he is okay because that uh, when he drew his last breath there, I, uh, he was uh, welcomed into the arms of Jesus. Well, so so how were you notified of his death? Oh, well, the seventeenth was on a Wednesday. Uh, uh, actually, Kelly was notified on a Wednesday night about midnight, and uh, they had a uh, a team come to Hot Springs, and they knocked on our door here in Hot Springs about six o'clock on a Thursday morning, and that's. Kelly wanted, she told them, you know, Janice will be alone. You have to get there by 6 o'clock. I don't want her to hear this alone. And so that's what they did. They were they were here and four men in dress blues and our pastor. So, Oh, your pastor was there too? Yes, yeah, they, they notified him. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm guessing that was at the request of Adam beforehand, if something happened. Is that how that worked? I don't know if that was his request or if that was Kelly's request. Okay. Uh, so what, uh, you know, Miss Brown, I mean, or Mr. Brown, what what went through your head the minute you saw the men in uniform at your door or walking towards your house? Well, there was no doubt. Uh, Larry went to the door first, and I heard him yell, and I, to this day I don't even know what he yelled. But I walked in, and, um, you know, I saw him there. Nobody had to say anything. knew exactly what had happened. Um, well, not exactly, but I knew knew I, my life had changed forever at that moment. It's pretty much a blur. Uh, I don't remember a lot of what anybody said. Um, I remember our friends coming in the door within minutes. Um, our house was full of family and friends, and I, I, I couldn't tell you what we said to anyone or what anyone said to us. Um, if you asked me about a specific person that was even there, I might not remember, but I know we were uh, we were surrounded with love, and um, uh, it was a horrible day, but it was it was uh, uh, it was sweet to have our friends there. And our yeah. I guess word spread pretty quickly in the yes. community. Yeah, it was very quick. So, what? How much time was there between the notification to when you had the funeral? Well, we see we were notified on Thursday. Uh, Friday, we flew back to Virginia Beach, and Friday night they brought uh, me and Kelly and Janice went to Dover, and. Uh, that's when they brought Adam in on Friday night. We watched the, the plane coming in and um, his friends yeah. escort him off. They, they told us that they never once left him alone. There was always someone with him and one of his buddies. And so it was a very, very sobering event, but it was very... Um, they were very respectful. And, uh, yeah. Well, um, I, I read where his wife, Kelly, went to bed tearful that night, I believe, before she was ever notified. Do, do you know what happened there? Because then she, I guess she was awa- awakened to. Yeah, 
to the knock on the door? Well, they, uh, evidently she uh, she had had she just felt uneasy, and I think the kids had felt uneasy. They she had tried to Skype with him, I think, and and something didn't go right, and uh, I think she just felt uneasy about things, you know, and uh, but I think it was about close to midnight. Then uh, they came to notify her. Wow. Yes, it was his friends and people that she knew would be there if anything ever happened. And then, of course, her friend Sarah, her best friend up there, uh, was waiting around the corner for them to know to, to walk in with her. And as soon as they went in, then Sarah went in. And, uh, until we, we got there and until we left, they never left her alone. Yeah. There was someone there with her the whole time. So, if you don't mind saying, sharing with us, I mean, what what was your grief like, you know, in, immediately, and, and has it changed over the years? Well, I didn't realize that uh, grief had physical manifestations, and but, and, you, and I've heard it, but I now have experienced the actual physical results of grief. I mean, it was something that, that I can't imagine again. Uh, but, and that, you know, that has subsided. We're not... Uh, we were in, a, in a, a fog. I mean, we could barely think of words to say. You know, someone asked you something, it was kind of hard to answer even. And we... I literally had a friend of mine come in, as, and she knew we had to get to Virginia Beach to be with Kelly. And she said, you have to pack. And I said, I, I, can't, I can't do that. And she literally led me to my bedroom and said, how about this? And you want to take that? And she packed my bag so that I would be able to go to Virginia Beach and be with Kelly and the kids. It's just a, um, it's, it's very hard to explain, but it's, uh, it's very hard to breathe, think, do anything. There is such a thing as grief brain, because I think your body is trying to help you so much just to focus on um, what you have to do from moment to moment that you can't think about other things. Yeah. Well, I'm sure you had uh, pl- probably a plethora of food come into the house. Oh, my goodness, <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> we had a. Uh, between here and uh, and Kelly's house, yeah. there was a sound store there. You know, <laughs> uh, everything imaginable. And, uh, but then, you know, after uh, one of the things that really helped us in our grief was when we met uh, Brad and Jill Sullivan, the the uh, partners in in the ministry we're in while we're waiting, but. Just to be able to sit and talk with someone that understands, has been there, and knows what you're feeling, and uh, they don't think that you're crazy because of some of the things you say or what you thought, uh, and it's just so uh, it's it's just very healing to be able to actually talk with someone that understands and knows and been down that road with the same road, even though the circumstances are completely different. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the pain is the same, 
the Sullivans had a 17-year-old daughter uh, go to heaven from brain cancer, but they had spent a year um, ministering to her. And then we have a 36-year-old son in the war, and you would think, what in the world do you have in common? But when we got together and we talked about our pain and our grief uh, and our children, and, and we were so free to say Adam's name and have somebody not be feel awkward or uh, worried they're going to make us cry or something. We spent three and a half hours with him the first time we ever talked to him. And, uh, you know, and I knew I wanted to get back with them because that was, that was the best I'd felt since Adam went to heaven. Wow. That, that's, I, I mean, I, I love to hear that because, uh, I mean, that's what I feel like I've seen too. I've witnessed in my life with, with, with my parents, especially, and with me, but you to have someone who has actually been there right. and then maybe someone who's not afraid to talk about it, to bring it up, to talk, maybe bring up the elephant in the room and talk about Adam. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. We have actually been to events that were military and sit at a table and everybody was introducing themselves and they asked why we were there and we told them and we were the elephant at the table. <laughs> you know, it was just like silence. Oh. Yeah. But, but we were far enough along then to understand it. Yeah. So it, it was okay. Um, yeah. You know, people, most people just don't know what to say, but I definitely, I, I, I would love them to ask me. Just bring it up. I mean, it's. You want to hear your child's name. You want to talk about it. Oh, and, yeah. And um, you may cry, but that don't mean that uh, you're, ba- you know, that you don't want to talk about them. It's just, uh, that's, and uh, we've, you know, there's something about uh, you can think something and it runs through your head, and but when you actually say it mm-hmm. and it comes out, it, it makes a difference. There is a difference in speaking it than thinking. Yeah. So, Miss Brown, a while ago, you said that your life had forever changed, and I, I'm I would I'd ask that you, that y'all would maybe elaborate on. What it what is it like, you know, as parents to lose a child, and then in what ways has your life changed because of losing Adam? Well, I, I would almost say in every aspect of our life has our life changed, and that doesn't mean it's all bad and sad all the time. In the beginning, yes, it was. It was just uh, you start to do you go out to eat somewhere, and they say how many how many people. Well, it's very hard to say 13 when you've been saying 14. Uh, how many children do you have? Oh, you know, yes, I have three children. One of them's in heaven. Uh, you know, there's just so much of your life. Your, your children are your life. <laughs> and uh, I will, every aspect of life. But as time goes on and I've learned how to, I can now say I have three children. Uh, one of them's in heaven. Uh, without, without that feeling, you know, uh, it's it's just a difference. Um, it's hard to explain yeah. that to you. And Adam was always he was probably the uh, the social. Yes. Uh, he was the one that orchestrated all the social events for the family. You know. He, he walked in the house and everybody in the house just exploded. You know, that's when all the laughing and the joking started. So, is there a different feeling now at the house when you get together for Christmas and Easter and, you know, different events? Oh, yeah. 
it's it's you know we we all we we're not afraid to talk about Adam. We always uh, we mention his name quite often, but you know there's still that that plate that's not there. You know that that uh, laughter and that mm-hmm. agitating and uh, you know uh, he he can he can get his sister wound oh, up in the heart. <laughs> Well, I guess being twins, that helps a little bit, right? Adds to it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I know that you have uh, strong faith, and I think y'all have always, you've probably had a, Adam grew up in a religious home, I think. Not necessarily. Oh, really? I, okay. I grew up in, an, uh, in a religious home, and uh, very, my mom and dad, you know, they took me to church up until I was about 18 years old, and I rebelled. And it uh, wasn't until actually when Adam uh, first got started in his drugs that I realized that there should be more to my life than trying to make a living and doing the things I was doing. And that's when I came back to Jesus at that point. And, uh, but uh, Adam and Manda and Sean, they were, you know, we always tried to teach them right. You know, what's right and what's wrong. You do the right thing, you know. My mom and dad, they still took them to church on uh, a regular basis. They would come get them. And uh, we we encouraged them to, to do that. It just was not. Uh, unfortunately, I was not the spiritual leader of my home at that point. And I had grown up uh, in a home that was, uh, I grew up with my grandparents. They were very good. But we just didn't, we didn't go to church, we didn't, we didn't talk about God, we didn't pray, and uh, so it was kind of a non-issue with me, but when Adam got into trouble, and we had done everything, I mean, we, we sent him to rehab, we sent him to uh, counselors, we talked to him, uh, we, we literally searched for him all over Arkansas, and I can remember Larry being, working late one night, and coming in, and and me tell him, Adam's gone again. What are we going to do different this time? What can we do different? <laughs> and Larry just looked at me and took my hand and he said, we've got to go to church. We need God. And even though I was lost, that made so much sense to me. And so that's exactly what we did. Yeah, he, I would say he's a man of extremes. I mean, that guy, that <laughs> fella, look what he did to get y'all, exactly. get y'all doing what you're doing, huh? You know, uh-huh. I wouldn't be saved today if it were not for that. <laughs> wow. Well, I, I, um, one other thing I wanted to ask you is, you know, the military deaths and funerals are so unique. There's so much that goes on with them in the in planning. Um, do, did you have to be involved in preparing for any protesters for the funeral, or were you all kind of blinded from that? Well, we were blinded from it, but the uh, the Patriot Guard was they showed up and. Uh, in force for Adam's funeral and all of the, the things that uh, so and we were aware that that uh, supposedly Baptist church over somewhere you know that they were <coughs> they were possibly going to show up but I don't think that uh, they would have been much trouble for most of those guys that were here uh, I, I know if I'd have been one of them I, I think I'd have stayed away myself yeah, yeah. Well, I would think, you know, you got to use some common sense. I mean, I would think Hot Springs, Arkansas, probably not the best place to show up 
Uh, just like Haleyville, Alabama, you probably just don't want to show up there and, and protest a military funeral. Exactly. <laughs> but yeah, thank goodness for the Patriot Guard riders. They are some great Americans. They Absolutely. really are. They uh, and they uh, they they camped out, you know, at the church and and here at the house, and you know, of course we had there was always some kind of police or somebody at the house here. Uh, the whole time we were going through all of that. So, well, I asked them one time later. Uh, I interviewed the ones that were kind of in charge of heading up the group in our hometown and for my brother's funeral. And I said, "Were there any protesters? You know, because we didn't see any. I didn't think there was, but I just wanted to double check." And he said, "That's how we know we did our job because you didn't even know." And yeah. that's their goal: is that you just don't ever even that y'all are completely shielded from anything that may that may go on. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the the good. I mean, what 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 is the good that's come from Adam's life and from his death? Well, one thing is uh, probably the what we've uh, been involved in that's that's turned out good more than anything is the uh, ministry that we uh, co-founded with Brad and Jill Sullivan. Uh, it's called While We're Waiting, and uh, it's just a ministry for for the parents that have lost children. And we've uh, it's really grown, and there's been a tremendous demand. And uh, you know, we've been really blessed by a number of different people to be able to minister to parents that have lost children, and uh, and we we have benefited just as much as anyone else. It's just really been healing for us and we've heard some fantastic stories of some just absolutely wonderful kids and met some people that are just courageous and have taken care of special needs kids or something you know just uh, it's just been amazing some of the stories that we've heard that the parents and the kids that we've got to be acquainted with yeah, so they you have the parents. Is it a weekend, a, a long weekend? And we have about six weeks. We have a parents' weekend, and that's where they come in on Friday evening and stay through Sunday morning. And uh, they come uh, free of charge. Uh, we like we don't like to have more than uh, ten couples. We like to keep it small and intimate. And we allow the parents to come in and they bring a picture of their child. And we all kind of sit in this living room area where you can take off your shoes and relax. Plenty of Kleenex around. And we allow each person to tell us about their child. And uh, we pass the child's picture around as they're talking about him. So we get to know that child. We, we tell him, you know, uh, you don't have to talk about their death. We'd like to hear about their life. And uh, it's a time that parents can say anything they want to. They're free. They're safe. Uh, and, and usually we felt the same things they're feeling. And uh, it's just a, uh, an incredible weekend. They come in scared, nervous, and they leave at the end of uh, Sunday morning. We're all friends and can't wait to get back together. How do you raise money to fund this? <laughs> well, we don't. <laughs> <laughs> it's just out of your pocket. First, we're the worst fundraisers ever. <laughs> Uh, Brad, Jill, Brad and Jill Sullivan, Janice and I, we're the world's worst at asking anybody for anything. 
Uh, but and, but that's where you know God just is, has provided it. We we built a uh, just just finished in October. We had our first event in our new retreat center, and we built this retreat center in about a 15 month period. The uh, the guy that drew up the architectural plans for it, he said it would cost about a million dollars just to build the facility. Well, we built it and and furnished everything for about $450,000. And, but God just provided as we would get to one point, something would happen and there'd be some more money and, uh, we'd just continue on. And we never had to slow down, not for one day because of lack of funds. And just, he just showed up and, uh, it, 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 people would just come and help and, stay a week and help and just uh it was just amazing the things that happened during that 15 month period it's like a loaves and fishes it really yeah, absolutely is. we were going we had been told you have to charge something or they won't come you know they'll back out on you so the very first retreat we were going to charge in something and by midway through that retreat we were like this is not right we can't charge for this <laughs> and so we gave them all their money back but People that have money will give more than than we would have even asked for. And the ones that can't afford it, we want them there. And they become friends with these other people. And um, it's, it's just been amazing to watch. Yeah, that is a great thing you're doing. I mean, because, yeah, I mean, someone who has lost a child... There's just nobody else better to relate to than someone who's been right through that situation. And I know there's... I don't know. There's just my parents have someone like that. I know for sure, or a few people that have lost children, and they're the ones that they definitely feel comfortable talking about, yes. talking about it with them. Um, what What else? I mean, I know you've you've created a um, a race at, oh. there in in town. I mean, that sounds very successful. The the, the Shamrock Run, five k Shamrock Run, I believe. It has been. I you know the first March, some of the, Adam's friends came to us and they said, we want to do this run. And we were like, oh, we, we can't do anything. And they were like, no, no, we don't want you to do a thing. And so they started that run. It was like 150, what, 200 people. And it was basically friends of Adam's out at his high school. And um, since then, it has grown every year. And uh, we're, this year we were able to give out almost $50,000 worth of donations to um to different groups and people, and there were probably a thousand people there. And, uh, so it's it's been amazing to watch. And, uh, it's, it's a fun event. We enjoy uh, now. We enjoy going there. Beginning it was rough, but um, it's kind of union for Adam's classmates. A lot of them live off from here now, but they try to come for the race. Well, that's incredible. Fifty, almost fifty thousand dollars raised and given to organizations that Adam would have supported, I guess. Yes, we we picked things that we think he would have, you know, wanted to be a part of. Wow, a thousand people. I mean, how many of those? What kind of support do you get locally? Well, uh, quite a bit. there's quite a bit. There was a few that came. We had some people in from New York, some from Texas, some from Colorado, some California. from Chicago, uh, California. 
but you know the majority of them are just local people uh, that just want to come out and uh, and support Adam and you know just uh, there's been uh, the city uh, put up a, a it's a warriors it's Memorial. not just for Adam but it is a likeness of Adam down at the the uh, Memorial Veterans Memorial Park and it's a uh, bigger than life statue and uh, and it has Adam's likeness but it's you know it's for all veterans and all that have served but uh, that's just one of the things that that's now the, there's a, just a lot of people just go down there just to, to see that statue we had a guy named Will Stevens call us about a couple of years in he wanted to, he felt like God was leading him to put an underwater memorial in Lake Washita and uh, we talked about it and said, well, if you want to, you know, we're not going to do anything about it. And he said, I'll take care of everything. And he really did. And now it's become, uh, there's people come from all over the country now just to dive in Lake Washita and go to that memorial, the underwater memorial. They call it Fearless Rock. What is it called? It's called the Fearless Rock. Fearless Rock. Mm -hmm. well, I, I haven't heard of that. I had heard of the statue, and I would love to see that. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. They, they have a web page, The Fearless Rock. Oh, yes. Yeah, yes. Will does. Mm -hmm. yeah. He's a great guy. And, uh, he wanted nothing from us, and he got all the right. Um, you have to go to the Corps of Engineers, and he went through the command to make sure everything was done the right way. And uh, never asked a penny from us. He did all raising himself. And uh, a lot of people love to go down there. And it's a likeness of Adam on a stone, and... People from all over the country send um, challenge coins and different little things that they can take down and put on the monument. And um, then people, and there's flags down there. Um, Will takes down every year after the race a little flag and puts it up. And there's also a stone there for those uh, the men that were in the extortion 17. He just did that yeah. last year. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to look that up. I'll put a link to that in the notes for this episode, too. Yeah. That'd be great. Mm -hmm. um, man, there's so many good people out there. There are. Uh, we only hear about the bad ones, but they're, you know, we, we've met some wonderful Yes, I, I know you have. I mean, and so have we. Uh, and, you know, and then you've got the book Fearless by Eric Blim, and, and Eric did a great job writing that book, and it was a New York Times bestseller. Uh, can you can you tell me uh, is there a movie is that really real and what the status is or, or are you involved in that? The only thing we're involved right now is uh, we've got the contracts. Uh, Eric has signed his. Uh, we've got our family contracts that we have to sign. Uh, we're going to try to do that uh, over the Easter holiday get together and see if everybody agrees with everything and. Uh, if they do, then uh, we'll. That's the next step in the movie. I think it was uh, the company that originally had the rights to it. They went bankrupt, and uh, so this company, it's MGM now. I guess I'm allowed to say that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that that is incredible. Uh, I hope it it goes through because I will be there watching it no doubt and promoting it and 
Um, it, you know, Mr. Miss Brown, it, it really has been an honor and, and it's, it's been, uh, you know, emotional, you know, for me and probably for you. And, and I'm just, I really appreciate you raising the son you did. And you know what, you've got, you've got two other children, you've got grandchildren. I mean, what, what is, yeah, what is, uh, what is your family like? Because Adam had children and. Well, we have, uh, each one of our children had two. And Nathan has the oldest, uh, and then his daughter Savannah is 14 now, Nathan's 17, and then we go all the way down to age 11. And uh, they're, they're close, they're, they're cousins that all go to the same school. We try to get together and have family dinners as much as we can get that group together. And uh, they, they really love one another. It's, it's nice to see that. So, it's, it's been great. Yeah, that is great. Well, is there anything else that you'd like to share about anything that y'all do or anything about Adam or the family before we wrap it up? Well, I, I would like to invite your parents. Be sure and tell them about while we're waiting. We have a Facebook page, and uh, they can find out anything they want to know on it. And, uh, that we, we feel for your family also. Well, thank you. I will. I, I Actually, I've told them about it, but I haven't shown them anything yet. I have... Uh, I have liked your the Facebook page, so I'll see they're coming down to my house for Easter, and and we will. Uh, I'll sh I'll show it to them. So thank you very much for that. I applaud y'all for what you're doing. Uh, you I mean you're doing so much um, to to help other people, and it, and it's needed. And it helps us. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly right. It does. And I, and I'll, I'll tell you this too. Um, you know, I've had, I lost a really good friend of mine. He died a week ago and his funeral was Saturday. And, um, you know, one thing that I, I've done a few times with deaths of friends is I'll write up a letter, like just with some random bullet points of things that I remember about, like things we did, some things that are funny, things that maybe are just a statement that may not mean anything, but I'll just, I share it with, I give it to the family and say, look, this is just memories of, your husband or your dad or your son. And, and, um, you know, I don't know if, how much it means to him, but I know that it helps me, you know, in, in my little grieving process. You know, so I, I want to share everything I can about them with, with their loved one. Oh, that will be a cherished letter for, the, for their loved ones. I can yeah. guarantee you. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm sure. Yeah. Just as you said, you like to talk about Adam, you know, I, I, I love it when somebody asks me about my brother. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it, it's, it has been uh, a fantastic time with you, and I, I thank you, Mr. Miss Brown, for, for talking with me, and, and thanks for uh, sharing about your, your warrior son, Adam. Thank you for what you do. And we, I've, I've read some of your stories, and uh, I still want to go get the book. I haven't gotten your book yet, but I want to be sure and do that. Well, okay. you've got one coming. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I'll save my money then. Yeah, do that. <laughs>